0: Hello, and welcome to the Heaven Bound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Shouse, and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us on the journey.
1: We appreciate everyone being with us today. This is the last uh, Friday in March that we're talking about these things, and we have looked at what we call the madness of things. This is the month of basketball tournaments and March madness. and did not go the way we thought at the beginning of March, did uh, it? <laughs> my bracket is in the trash can. Yes, mine has been for a while. And it, it's just a, a crazy year as we think about this, but, but it, it allowed us to take off that phrase of March Madness to talk about the madness of things, the folly or the foolishness of things. And so in our first uh, podcast in this series, we talked about the madness of sin and how sin just doesn't make sense, but it's something we all have to deal with. Then we talked about the madness of materialism and just the idea of too much stuff and what stuff does to us. Then we talked about the madness of the frantic busyness of life, just running a fast paced life and thinking that we're going to get everything done that we need to. And that just comes out to be madness. We talked last time about the madness of trying to control the world and how. We think that we can come up with all the answers and do everything, and we simply can't. And that leads us to the final lesson, which may be uh, the, one of the more important ones on this whole series, and that is the madness of thinking I can be good enough. And and that, that I think, is a prevailing thought that a lot of people have today. Nearly every funeral you go to, whoever the person was, they're going to heaven, according to the preacher. And all you have to do is be good. And so that idea of being good, just being good is all it takes. It's just a common, common thought today. And we need to look at it through the lens of the Bible and realize... There's a lot of questions about that. There's a lot of issues with that, and that's what we want to kind of explore and look at today.
0: You know, it's interesting to me this phrase, good enough. maybe it it makes you think of, okay, uh, as hard as it is to believe, it's about that time to really get lawnmowers going and weed eating and landscaping and uh, mulch and everything. Roger, I heard you say that uh, just a few days ago, you put down a whole lot of mulch. You know, it can be easy maybe on a hot summer day to usually do X, Y, and Z, and I've done X and Y, but I'm just not feeling Z, and so I say to myself, well, that's good enough, or I'm working on the inside, I'm trying to do some painting or some finishing work, and, I, you know, I, I make some mistakes here and there, and well, that's good enough. It won't really be that big of a deal, and it, it sure does sound like when we're talking about this from a spiritual standpoint, we need to start with, well, who defines what is good? Good enough. How would you help us start thinking
1: along those lines? Well, you lines? know, when, when we go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, as Jesus was giving some warnings about uh, false teachers. Uh, He talked about how a wolf would appear in sheep clothing. He he also talked about uh, fruit, and he would say in Matthew chapter 7 and in verse 17, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Now, we just go with that and say, okay, good tree, bad tree. And so good fruit, bad fruit. So we go to the grocery store and there's the produce and we pick out bananas because bananas are good. Well, who decided that? Well, I did. And you may have a little child in your, in your, grocery cart there and he may look at that and says, I hate bananas. So for him, <laughs> bananas are bad fruit. Okay. So, so that's a very subjective thing. I mean, uh, that's why when you go to the restaurant, there's more than one item on the menu because everybody has their own choice. Everyone has their own opinion. But here we need to understand it is God who determines what is good, what is bad. And so so in my thinking well it it's good to stop and pick up trash you see along the road someone else might think well I didn't throw it out it's not my business it's not my problem so in their definition that's not good and and so what we have when we have this idea of just being good enough we have, everyone has their own definition. And then everyone basically just goes to heaven because they're just doing what they want to do. And that never works. So definition of what is good, first of all, comes from God. And that's where we need to start.
0: Yeah. Psalm 119 verse 68 says it awfully succinctly. Speaking of God, you are good and do good. God is good. God defines good. This past Sunday evening, we spent some time preaching through some texts that revealed God will eventually judge the world in righteousness. God defines what is right. And so it is not up to me or up to you or to anybody else to say, well, you know, that's good enough. No, we're, we're treading into God's territory here. So, all right, good enough. Where, where would you, once we've got the standard set, why then would you describe this as madness that I, I think I can be
1: good enough? Well, you know, it's madness because how much good do I have to do? do I do one event? You know, sometimes college or high school students, they get ready to Graduate, they they are supposed to do so much community activities, community service. Well, how much do I just volunteer uh, one weekend at the shelter? Do I have to do this every weekend at the shelter? Uh, so so you know we, we got the problem of defining what is good. God does that. Then how much good am I supposed to do? Well, that that again is something that's if we leave it to ourselves, it becomes subjective, and everyone has their own definition. Uh, I think it's interesting to look at what you and I would call a good person in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, we read about Cornelius. And there it says in verse one of Acts 10, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man. Well, that's good, isn't it? One who feared God with all his household. That's good, we would say. Gave many alms to the Jewish people. That's good, we would say. And he prayed to God continually. There's, There's four characteristics right there. We say, man, this guy is great. This guy is doing everything he should. When you flip a couple pages in your Bible to chapter 11 of Acts, as Peter is now going back telling us what happened there, he would say in verse 14, he said that he would speak words to you by which you and your household will be saved. So there was a good man doing good things as our definition might be, but God determined he wasn't saved. So we need to see that just doing nice things or good things doesn't take care of the sin in our life.
0: And that is the key word, right, that you just used, sin. I mean, Paul in Romans 1 looks at the Gentile world and says, listen, Gentiles, are guilty of sin. In Romans chapter 2, he looks at the descendants of Abraham and says, you are guilty of sin. The bad news really begins to settle in in chapter 3, where Paul reaches back to a series of Old Testament passages and draws our attention to chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. He reaches this grand, terrifying conclusion in verse 23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Roger, if I can put you on the spot for a moment, how can Paul say that in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? And then we compare that to Cornelius. I mean, he was given money away. He was praying. He feared God. How can both of those things be true at the same time?
1: Well they just are and and I think a lot of times what we have is what I call the balanced theology in our mind you yeah. you, you, you envision this scales of justice you know you got this balanced scales and you you put something on one side and the scale goes down you put something heavy on the other side and it goes out and, and you try to get it to be balanced just right okay so so i 've done some wrong in my life I got some sin, so that's kind of making the scales kind of point downward well I start stacking good good on the other side, and all of a sudden, the scales start reversing. And if I keep putting enough good in there, pretty soon the bad is higher, and what I realize is I've just changed the balance of things. Well, the problem with that is the Bible doesn't say that's how we deal with our sins. Sins do not evaporate. You move from one town to another town, you may leave things, but your sin goes with you. Sin doesn't go away with time. You know, there's, there's certain crimes, somebody can say, and they... They commit and the time period to arrest them is past. That doesn't work with sin. Sin stays with you. The only way to remove sins is the blood of Jesus. And so this idea if I do enough good, yeah, you know, I, I did some things when I was younger and I shouldn't have done them, but but I'm really putting a lot of good in that basket now, so I'll get to go to heaven, that doesn't deal with that bad. Not at all. And only the blood of Jesus can do that. What this also leads to, right behind balanced theology, as I call it, is a a system of salvation by works. So the idea is, if I do enough good stuff, then I have to go to heaven. God owes me heaven because of all the good that I have done. Paul would address this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And so you cannot be good enough to go to heaven. You cannot sit in a church building long enough to go to heaven. Sins in your lives can only be removed by the blood of Jesus.
0: All right. So it's not that what Cornelius, for instance, was doing wasn't good. It's just that, and I think accurately so, he couldn't give enough alms to wash away his sins. He, he couldn't say enough prayers to nullify his sins. Cornelius was a sinner. He was going to hear words by which he could be saved, saved from his sin, right? And as you emphasized, only the blood of Jesus can do that. What's it sound like to... By into this madness of thinking I can be good enough, that makes me think of Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 18, where he told, verse 9, this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, there's a lot there we'll come back to in just a moment. Verse 10 is the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Sure does sound like he thinks he is good enough. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Right? Meanwhile, standing far off is the tax collector. He won't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He knows. I am not good enough. And so what is he doing? He's not saying, well, God, would you give me enough time to start tithing all of the spices in my house and and make sure that I, I somehow do enough to outweigh those evil things that I've done? He's calling out for mercy. He recognizes, I am a sinner. I am unworthy. And Jesus says This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Four, listen to his conclusion. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Roger, what stands out to you about that?
1: Well, there's a man who's trying to save himself. And, you know, as he was describing, I tithe, I do this, I do this. There was no mention of God in any of that. It was all about him. And so in his thinking, you know, God must be checking the boxes off up there and says, God's going to have to open the door up for me because look how great I am and that that wasn't true he he did not recognize that he had wrongs in his life but the other man who was beating his breast and just begging for mercy I I don't think we should get the picture that man was totally bad that he never did anything good but he realized his salvation rested upon God, not upon himself, and he needed saved by God. And so that's that's really the standpoint that we need to see here. A person may think from time to time, you know, I I, I did some things I shouldn't have done this week, so I better get down to the church house this week. Well, why would you say that? Why would you think that? Are you thinking that? Well, if I get down to the church house this week, then that's going to take care of something bad that I did this week? No. No, that, it doesn't work that way. I need to get down to the church house because I need to honor my God and I need to praise my God. The, the bad idea is I need to seek what God says about that in his Bible and I need to do what God wants me to do to, to get rid of my sins and to seek the blood of Jesus. But this idea that I am just good enough, okay, uh, that's just not found in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. It strikes
0: me that if I buy into that madness it doesn't just affect me maybe it affects the way that i look at others right we heard jesus at the or the the very beginning of that parable luke tells us that he told this parable to some who looked at themselves as righteous and treated others with contempt this is a this is a double tragedy Because it not only blinds me to who I really am, thereby creating or nurturing, maintaining this disconnect between me and my God, but it also somehow gives me in my own mad thinking the license to, to look down on other people. And you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It sure does seem to me like Jesus has the strongest feelings, the sharpest words for people who thought in their own minds, I'm good enough, and somehow that gives me the right to look down
1: on other people. Roger, why is that absolute madness? Well, it's madness because they, they feel, see, as you just said, their own self. Yep. They too are a sinner, and they too need Jesus just as as much as everyone else. And this idea that I'm better than you are, you know, look at me, I'm in a church house and you're not, so I'm better than you are. No, that's not true. Not true at all. And and Jesus demonstrated that by going to the home of tax collectors. He demonstrated that by being with, with uh, Samaritans and other people like that. So J- Jesus would include all people. And so all of us are on the same level. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. We need God in our lives. Now, what, what's interesting is you don't find the Bible really saying, just be good. Yeah, I mean that phrase is just just be good is all you need to do. You don't see that, but what you do find is be conformed to the image of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Romans eight twenty nine. What you do find is be holy like He is holy. First Peter one. What you find is to forgive even as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians or to love as God loves. Ephesians five. And so, so what 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 you see over and over is. The standard is not just checking off, hey, you know, I... I went down and I stopped by Goodwill or some other place and I donated some stuff I don't want anymore. And that's a good thing to do. No, no. The thing is, is my character like Jesus? Is my heart like Jesus? Am I doing what Jesus would do? And am I walking in faith with the Lord? Yeah. It's Titus chapter two, right? The grace
0: of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. All need the grace of God. And that grace of God is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Why? Because Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, said, listen, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. To believe otherwise is madness. Roger, this series has been good for me, and uh, I believe it will have been good for so many others. We know that we've gotten feedback off and on as to uh, how thought-provoking this series has been in a variety of different ways. It's all freely available at charlestownroad.org or in our Heavenbound podcast feed, March Madness, The Madness of Sin. The madness of materialism, the madness of frantic busyness, the madness of trying to control the world, and the madness of thinking, I can be good enough. Thank God that he has done everything necessary to get us in our right minds, right? And that is what we are most thankful for. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. We hope this series has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. If you found it helpful, we would love it if you would take the time to share with others. In the meantime, always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound, and the best is yet to come.